Doug Tyrrell, History and Comment is available on iTunes. Hello friends, I'm Doug Tyrrell. This is History and Comment for Thursday, December 15th, 2022. AD 37, future Roman Emperor Nero was born. He was liked by the commoner, but hated by the ruling class. History describes him as tyrannical, self-indulgent, and debauched. The Roman Senate declared him a public enemy, and he commits suicide at the age of 30. The Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, become law on this day in 1791. They were an afterthought and added to ensure passage of the entire document. The Bill of Rights have become the keystone of our society. What is lost on most folks, they do not grant rights but proclaim they exist outside of government. A very significant concept. Also noteworthy, the Bill of Rights did not extend to the states. This is especially applicable to the First Amendment. Since the passage of the 14th during Reconstruction, the courts have generally upheld that they do extend to the states. The first machine specifically to clean streets was used in Philadelphia in 1854. Today we think of street sweepers as removing leaves and trash. In the mid-19th century, there was a bigger issue buggy exhaust. The major cities had thousands of horses on the streets each day. Horses soil the streets with tons of poo. Necessity is the mother of invention. Italian immigrant Italio Marchione had built a huge business selling lemon ice in the business district of New York City. He went from a single pushcart to a fleet of over 50. Originally, the product was sold in glass cups. This required the customer to consume the treat close to the cart and return the glasses. They were also costly and broke easily. Marchione invented a paper cup, and that was an improvement but caused a litter issue. Next was an edible cup, and that idea worked. In the end, he sold the retail business and focused on building the machines to bake ice cream cones. He received a patent on this day in 1903. Max Yasger was born to Russian Jews in 1919. He studied law, but settled on dairy farming in upstate New York. Politically, he was a conservative Republican and supported the Vietnam War. But because he believed in free expression, agreed to rent a field of his farm to the Woodstock Music and Arts Festival in the summer of 1969. The event made him famous with a generation of young people, but not the neighbors in Bethel, New York. The classic film Gone with the Wind premieres in Atlanta, Georgia in 1939. There is one point to never forget. The Israeli Mossad will get their man. Fifteen years after the end of World War II, agents arrest Nazi leader Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. Eichmann was one of the architects of the Holocaust and the death of six million Jews. On this day, he's found guilty on 15 criminal counts and sentenced to be hanged. President Carter in 1978 announces the U.S. will recognize the Chai Coms over Taiwan. The last nuclear reactor at the infamous Chernobyl plant in what is now Ukraine is shut down in 2000. You'll recall one of the four units at the plant suffered a meltdown in 1986. The Chernobyl plant had a generation capacity in line with the largest plants in the United States, but half of our top ten are still coal. The largest is still the Grand Coulee Dam and hydroelectric plant in Washington State, which is nearly double the capacity of the others. You have to get to number 105 on the list to find a wind plant, and the total amount generated by it is well below the label capacity. 
An 11-year and $27 million stabilization project is completed in 2001 on the famous Leaning Tower of Pisa. The goal was to prevent it from leaning further and risking failure. It was never part of the plan to correct the lean that developed during construction in the 12th century. The F-22 Raptor aircraft makes its debut with the Air Force in 2005. 2015, the mayor of Flint, Michigan declares a state of emergency over serious problems with the water supply in the city. He wants a criminal investigation. What he is actually looking for is to place blame. But it's more of a perfect storm. The city was full of lead piping. The city changed its water source and processing. Now Flint is an urban wasteland, that is clear. State and local officials switched to a cheaper source of raw water and failed to adequately treat it. The new water flowing in the older and poorly maintained homes was more acidic. Many of these homes had lead piping. The change in water quality resulted in more lead leaching out. That fact would have been nearly impossible for anyone to foresee. The problem is multiple. The biggest issue was the lead piping, which was not the city's issue, but the new water was a contributing factor. The entire fiasco should be a case study in what usually goes wrong in a nanny state. It is reasonable to assume the Flint-Detroit complex is a drain on state resources, just like every other urban center in every other state. Then there's the horde of poor people who do not have the resources or wherewithal to change their situation. But they look to government as an endless source of charity. There's a concept at play here that poor is more of a mental condition or mindset and not so much of a financial condition. Now granted, poor financial condition is in and of itself difficult to overcome, but the mind has to be fixed first. One year ago, Bruce Springsteen sells his music catalog to Sony Music for an estimated half billion dollars. That is a staggering sum of money. If we were to take 20% of that, we could fix the water problem in Flint, but still have a population with a poor mentality and looking for more help. It's doubtful the entire sum would make Flint an urban paradise. I postulated and my sailor friends could bear this out. If you passed out a sum of money on Friday afternoon and offered alcohol and vice, there would be rich folks and poor folks by Monday morning. And that's being generous. Saturday morning is more realistic. Last week, the Supreme Court heard a case and will hand down a decision in the coming months. The case is known as Moore v. Harper and originates out of North Carolina. The question is, quote, whether a state's judicial branch may nullify the regulations governing the manner of holding elections for senators and representatives prescribed by the legislature thereof and replace them with regulations of the state court's own devising, end quote. The middle portion is directly from the Constitution, ordering that state legislatures will determine the rules. But increasingly, these matters end up in the court, and the courts end up making the rules. This is the very issue Moore v. Harper will address. Can courts effectively make the rules? The outcome will have long-term implications. That's history and comment for the 15th day of December. I'm Doug Terrell. Now go do something worth remembering.